Hey everyone. Today we'll be discussing chapters 3 and 4 of the Discipling book, which covers some of the aspects of discipling and some common objections. In our sync at the beginning of the quarter, we brainstormed together a list of potential barriers and solutions, which we'll start to address today as well. So with that, let's jump in. Chapter 3 expands the understanding of doing spiritual good to others with a few practical steps, initiating, teaching, correcting, modeling, and loving with humility. I want to highlight two things here that are especially relevant for us as leaders in our communities, our initiative and our modeling. First is the fact that it takes our initiative to disciple others. We have to be the ones to ask someone. Sometimes we have to ask that person more than once or ask more than one person before we find an opportunity to do so. And sure, there will be times that people may approach us, but we can't rely on that. And, and Dever actually says that even in that scenario, there's still a responsibility for us to set the pace and the scope of our efforts. There's a short treatment on page 36 of who to consider, namely who needs help and who, know that, who knows that they need help and who are willing to receive the help. And in our sync, we talked about that as people who are faithful, available, and teachable. This concept is expanded later in the book, so we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But in short, for now, if you're not currently initiating this uh, discipling with anyone, I'd encourage you just simply to start. Make a list of the folks who are in your community who might fit some measure of this faithful, available, teachable paradigm. Pray over the list at least once, and then start making an invitation uh, and see who uh, responds. God is at work in the intimate details of our lives, and his providence certainly includes the arrangement of those people in our community. So as we seek to be faithful to the commands to disciple and to do good to others, we'll be able to meet that with those who are around us. The second aspect I want to highlight is our modeling. We talk about this all the time, so I won't belabor the basic point too much, that we demonstrate with our lives what it looks like to follow Christ. This is why we ask that men and women who lead be members, faithfully stewarding their time and talents and growing in Christ's image. This is also why I ask you how you're doing with your own walk with the Lord and your time in the word and your restedness, because we cannot lead people to a place that we aren't at ourselves. But there are two other aspects of this modeling that I want to zoom in on today, the purpose and the scope. First, the purpose of our discipling is to see others grow in Christ-likeness. We are commanded to teach others to obey, which is more than just teaching. Often we can default to seeing discipling as a primarily intellectual function, bringing others to understand the gospel or to understand a particular doctrine. But we cannot stop there. We need to get to the application of the gospel or the application of the doctrine in question to our daily lives. It starts with knowledge, but it does not stop there. You see, this is baked into the way that we set up our community discussions, starting with an understanding of the text and then moving to application in our lives. I've been in the habit of praying for our communities in this way, that we would grow in our knowledge, our love, and our trust of God through our discussions. It's important to keep this in mind as we seek to do good to others, that that good is measured in transformed lives and not just increased knowledge. The second thing I want to highlight here is the scope of our discipling. What I mean is this, when we are discipling others, what we're meant to impart on them is how we follow Christ. So when I'm meeting with my apprentice or in my discipleship group or even in our community discussions, what I'm commending to others about my life is how I follow Christ. This is articulated in objection number three on page 46, that 
Christian discipling calls us to follow someone only insofar as he or she follows Christ. It doesn't call us to follow another style, cultural preference, worldly wisdom, or personal habits. So when I'm calling those around me to follow me as I follow Christ, it's a call to understand and adopt the nature of my walk with the Lord, my practices of the means of grace, my prayer and service for others. And it's not a call for them to adopt my coffee drinking habits or my hobbies or even my temperament, apart from those things that can be outlined in Scripture. In other words, we can follow Jesus without becoming carpenters, and others can follow me without adopting my particular political opinions, my affinity or lack thereof for a particular sports team, or my nerdy insistence on what pen and notebook combinations are the best. Now, there are certainly aspects in which I am passionate and have a conviction that may relate to those things, and if it's from the Lord, then it's something worth teaching and encouraging others to emulate. But where that's not the case, we need to allow for Christian freedom for those whom we lead. And there's a hidden benefit with this understanding and this freedom, which is that we do not need a lot in common with the people that we seek to disciple. So long as they're a true follower of Jesus, we'll have enough to get started. Top among the other objections and challenges we discussed in our sync was that of time, both our time and the time of those whom we would like to disciple. This is discussed a little later in the book, so I'm going to reserve comments on this topic until we get there. But many of the other items that we discussed overlap with what's addressed here in chapter 4, so let's talk about four of them specifically. First is the expectation of us as leaders, either with our expecting ourselves to be better than we are or perfect before we can start, or conversely, others expecting us to be better or perfect before we start. When it comes to our own expectations of ourselves, I think we do want to start with a sober judgment and not think too highly of ourselves. But it is important to keep in mind what God has called us into leading, to be faithful with our efforts. Are we making our daily walks with him in our time in the word and prayer a priority? Are we stewarding our time and money well? If so, that's a good place to start leading others. And hopefully you've been there as you've come into leadership. If you're not there today, then make that a first priority and then continue to bring others in. When we expect ourselves to be perfect, we slip into functioning as if we are the ones who make our standing right before God, rather than reminding ourselves that we rely on Jesus as our Savior. So yes, we do need to be faithful in our walks, but we don't need to be perfect. And if someone's expecting you to be perfect, then this is a good time to discuss that same dependence on Christ together. A second objection is that we might be expecting too much of others. I think we can easily fall into thinking that we need those ready-made leaders in order to, be, to make our efforts successful. And while we do sometimes get a new family who are strong believers and passionate about using their gifts for the local church and are jumping all in, that's definitely the exception and not the rule. So that is why we talked about simply making a list of folks and starting with those who are in, in proximity and those are close, no matter how far away they may actually be. A subset to this is character qualifications. This came up in our sync as well. And it's a fairly common topic. We see that some folks have leadership potential but need to grow in a particular area of their life. Rather than sitting by and waiting for them to get it all sorted out, why not sit down with them and offer to walk through it with them? Perhaps no one else has even offered to do that. Or maybe you're starting to see a theme or a trend amongst a few people in your community who you would like to invite. Why not pull them together for a short series to walk through a book on that topic? 
The point here is without some intentional focus, we rarely grow in maturity fast enough to then begin to lead others. And this is why we have it as a part of the apprenticeship process. We don't expect that people are perfect, but that they're growing. Certainly, there is a threshold of maturity that is necessary before we want folks to take on certain responsibilities, but they can grow with your investment in them, and they can work towards that end. This can lead to all sorts of spiritual good for others. It can lead them to repentance of sin and active pursuit of holiness. It can be mutually encouraging and mutually edifying in growing together. A third objection, sort of conversely to that, is that we might be expecting too little of others or assuming assuming about what they're able to do or not do. Are there some quiet folks that you see who are being faithful but maybe not sharing as much in discussion? Introversion by itself is not an exclusion from leadership, and so perhaps they just need an encouragement or an invitation to take another step. Are there some in your community who are struggling to walk in the Word daily? Then why not come alongside them and help them evaluate their priorities and their practices? Fourth, and and lastly here, another big topic that we identified was the potential apprentice's uh, perception of their abilities, themselves thinking that they don't have what it takes to lead. In our brainstorming time, we came up with some really great ways to to address this. First, be sure to clarify the specific expectations of the role, using the role descriptions. Don't set an individual person as the standard, realizing that it might look differently if there's a different personality or a different life season or age or whatever else may be different between you and that person. Secondly, encourage them in ways that you see Christ at work in them already. What is it about them that had put them on your radar in the first place? Tell them, don't assume that they know it, and then continue to look for evidences of grace in their life as you walk together. Third, Talk about the process and let them know that the expectations are not for perfection, but that the apprenticeship process is there itself to help people grow. It's okay if they've never led in the ways that you're inviting them to lead. They can learn, and you will make a plan together for the specific areas of growth that they need. There's not a mandated time frame or an exact set of steps, but those that are relevant and needful for them. So along with this, um, be thinking about how to add responsibility over time, It shouldn't be the expectation that we launch folks into new roles immediately as much as we help them increase in their skills and maturity over time, launching them when they're ready. Knowing this helps people see that there is a next step attainable, even if they've got a ways to go to get to a particular destination. Fourth, and lastly, remind them that God has moved and continues to move towards us in our imperfections and share with them how you've grown throughout your journey and how you are still growing by God's grace. This is a reminder for them that this process of growth is ongoing. So with this all, let's take the initiative to do spiritual good to those in our care. As you pray for your community members, ask God for a direction, and then start asking. We'll continue talking about the ways to address challenges and more practical aspects in the coming weeks. But for now, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for taking the initiative to love us when we were dead in our sins, and I pray that your love for us would be deeply known and felt by our leaders, and that that love would overflow into their care for those in their communities. I pray that you direct the minds and hearts of those listening today to consider afresh who they might reach out to to help disciple and do spiritual good towards. I pray that we'd be able to continue to lead those around us well. I pray that you'd continue to equip us through this study 
and most importantly, through your, through your word and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.